0: I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and welcome to this year's Can We Awareness Week. Can We is the Companion Animal and Nutrition Wellness Institute. And every year we do an Awareness Week to bring valuable insights and information to you, the pet parents. This year's Awareness Week is entitled Insights into Commercial Pet Food. Can we do better? Yes, we can. And every day we're interviewing an esteemed guest within the pet food industry to help us better understand the issues, the latest research, and what we can do as veterinarians and pet parents to nourish our animals better. I hope you enjoy today's interview. So welcome everybody. This is Can We's Awareness Week and we are focusing on commercial pets. And I am delighted to have Dr. Joe Barges with me today. And we're going to have a nice discussion and talk a little bit more about commercial pet foods. So, Dr. Barges, why don't you tell us a little bit of background about yourself?
1: Well, my name is Joe Barges and I am from West Virginia originally. I'm a graduate of Marshall University. I did my veterinary training at the University of Georgia. I completed an internship and two residencies, one in internal medicine and one in nutrition with a PhD and did a postdoc at the University of Minnesota. I've been on faculty at the University of Georgia, then Tennessee, and I was in private practice in Connecticut um, at a private practice that Cornell University runs and had a position at Cornell. And I've been back at the University of Georgia since 2016. Currently, I am a professor of internal medicine, interventional radiology and nutrition here at Georgia.
0: Wow, you've kind of crossed the country there and <laughs> been a little bit of everywhere. Running a... on the wall. <laughs> I hear you. So, Dr. Barges, um, I know that you're very excited. Your team there at Georgia has a publication coming out from one of your graduate students who finished her doctoral thesis for a PhD, Dr. Siobhan bridgless And can you tell us a little bit about this study, this was a study of AGEs and dogs and dog food. Can you give us a, a little background how the study was designed?
1: Sure, um, and it's the first of, of likely four or five publications. So this is just the beginning of her publication of her dissertation research. So Siobhan, uh, Dr. Um, uh came and uh, to Georgia, and her dissertation was evaluating the the role of processing of dog food on several things um we were looking specifically at four different diets that were similar in composition they can't be exact similar in composition but were processed in different ways one was a high heat uh, heat processed dry food a kibble tea processed canned food and then an air dried food and a minimally processed kind of raw food, but there was a little bit of processing in it because of the bacteria. So basically three processed diets and one sort of minimally processed one and two of the three processed ones would, could be considered ultra processed or um, ultra high processed foods. So um, we wanted to evaluate the role of processing on the amount of AGEs or ages, which are advanced glycation end products. And I know this was talked on in other parts, but, um, or other interviews, but advanced glycation end products are compounds that occur due to the interaction of sugars with proteins and fats in, in the diet and in the body. Um, and in the diet, heat actually promotes that. So they end up with these end products, so meaning the end of this reaction um, that are glycation, glycated meaning glucose. Um, and what we want, what we started with is does processing influence that as it does in human foods? And the answer is yes. The more processed the foods, the higher the dietary age levels or AGE levels are. And this was also then seen in the dogs when they ate the high ultra processed foods, they had higher AGE levels in their blood and in their urine. Um, And with this, then we were also looking at, was there an influence or some interaction with these AGEs on uh, metabolism, and we did something called metabolomics, which is sort of looking at the end product of tons of metabolic pathways in the body, and also looking at changes in the bacteria in the gut, which is called the microbiome. And again, what we found and what will be coming out in subsequent um, publications is that processing and the AGEs influence how the gut responds to the food, which makes sense, and changes the gut bacteria based on the AGE levels, and then also changes the body's not only AGE levels, but um, metabolism as well.
0: Wow, that sounds like we're going to have a lot of data coming out from that work. Uh, That's absolutely wonderful. Uh, This is a really exciting area. So You know, from what you know, with what you've done so far, and the data that's out there, the research of ages in pet foods, and also uh, the ages, and I know David Turner, that group is looking at human, uh, human foods and cancers, and there's been some data over in Europe. What, what do you think the next steps for ages and pet food and then pets? What, where, where do you think we should go with this now?
1: Well, I, I will say uh, there are lots of ways that, that we need to go where it needs to go. Um, first, it's not a one-person operation. Uh, th- this involves a lot of different people. Um, we have received uh, generous support from CanWe and from um, people who have donated to to that um, to that foundation. Um, they CanWe funded Siobhan's PhD work, for example. Um, We collaborate with people at the Complex Carbohydrate Research Center here at the University of Georgia. Uh, Dr. Art Edison, who is an an eminent scholar in metabolomics, which is the study of metabolism, basically. Um, Dr. Paris Duazade, who runs a lab and does our AGE um, determinations. And Dr. Claire De La Serra, who's in the Department of Nutrition on campus at UGA, who does microbiome work. We, we're also getting ready to start collaborating with David Turner who was on uh, one of the other interviews um, and other people as well. So it's, it's a group effort because there's a lot to be learned from this and it has a lot of ramifications. We know, and, and, and Dr. Turner mentioned it, that in people, AGEs, high levels of AGEs in food and therefore in the body are associated with disease processes, whether it is cause and effect or whether it just makes things worse or can be part of the treatment by lowering the levels. So things like obesity, um, neurodegenerative disorders, cancer, um, osteoarthritis, um, you know, other inflammatory diseases, inflammatory bowel disease, things like that. Diabetes mellitus, which is a classic advanced glycation disease. So where our plan is and moving forward is to look at the role of dietary AGEs and therefore body AGEs in dogs and cats, not only in health, but in disease states too, like chronic kidney disease, diabetes mellitus, osteoarthritis, Um, because if there's a role that these play, and we know in other models and in humans that it is, then there may be things that we can do as veterinarians, as pet owners, and as a pet food industry to help lower those AGE levels, which then could help for a better quality and quantity of life for an individual pet.
0: Wow, very exciting. Very, very exciting. You've had a a tremendous career as an educator, a teacher, a researcher, a mentor. Um, You've done so much. And I I know you've published and written, uh, lecture, and speak. How how is this type of work, this AGE research, different for you, and how how does it compare to what other research is out there in pet food nutrition?
1: Now, for me, it's it, it's it's a little bit different than things that I've been involved with in I don't know 30, 30 some years of being in in veterinary medicine. Um, a lot of the research that I was involved with through my career has been more Um, focused on very specific diseases and nutritional role and nutrients or ingredients that could influence those diseases, as well as other treatments and diagnostic testing. So it was kind of more of a reactive response to, you know, to, to diseases that occur in dogs and cats, like bladder stone disease, urinary tract infections, cancer, diabetes mellitus. Uh, obesity I've been involved with research on those and, and and lots of others. This research is a little bit different because um, it isn't it, there is some of that sort of reaction to what can we change to help an individual animal with a certain disease, but there's a lot of proactivity in it too, and that if AGs are shown which we believe we will to be involved with diseases in dogs and cats like it is in people then you could change that early on and maybe help prevent those diseases from coming. So for example, and I know again, Dr. Turner mentioned this, um, there was a study that looked at AGE levels in diets that dogs and cats eat, and they compared it to sort of a standard Western diet, which is considered to be a high AGE diet that humans eat. And what they found is that on average, dogs eat about 140 or 50 times the amount of AGEs in their diet than a human does on a metabolic you know, basis um, on a Western diet. And cats about 50 times that amount. Well, now if you think about that, you say, well, people don't eat ultra-processed foods every meal every day, right? I mean, they eat, you know, some maybe TV dinners or fast food, but then they also eat some, you know, raw fruit and other things. But dogs and cats, once they're you know, weaned from their mothers and they start eating commercial food. It is ultra-processed dry food or ultra-processed canned food, and they eat that every day, every meal for every day of their life, and so they're taking in these dozens to, you know, a hundred plus times the amount of AGEs on a, on a metabolic body weight basis as an adult human does for all of their life, and then when you look at the diseases that dogs and cats get, they're very similar to people. Diabetes mellitus, osteoarthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, respiratory skin disease, heart disease, um, you know, cognition disorders. Um, and you make you take a step back and think, well, what role does food, pet food play in this? And can it be changed to not only treat the problem when it occurs, but to help prevent it from even happening? It, it's something that is called now an exposome. And so what that is, is sort of the study of not, you know, genomics is looking at what your genetic potential is. The exposome or exposome um, exposomics looks at what are the non-genetic influences that factor in as risk factors to play on your genes to make you a higher risk for developing a disease, whether it's food or drugs or pollution or whatever. Well, food is part of that. It's part, and, and dogs and cats, eat similar foods, get table scraps, live in the same environment, drink the same water, you know, are exposed to the same pollutants that are in the environments that their owners are. And so nutrition is just part of that. And and what's exciting about this is it has a lot of ramifications for pet health, for human health, and in the long run, even maybe the health sort of, you know, the community, the the global you know community, if we change the way we process foods, it may help with sustainability and things like that. You know, we we always said it was nutrients, not ingredients. Well, now I think what we're finding out it's ingredients and the processing of them, maybe even more so than the nutrients.
0: Yeah, we talk about this, um, you know, in, in humans, like you said, I mean, we're being told that there you know, cultures who've embraced that Western diet, that fast food, ultra processed, they didn't have diabetes and now they have diabetes and they have cardiovascular disease and there's huge studies and epidemiological studies and meta-analysis and in in the human nutrition world, all telling us why we need to decrease the ultra processed foods and eat more fresh and variety. Mm -hmm. Um, But this type of research or this type of view, like you said, has not really been looked at in the, in pet food.
1: Well, no. and, And if that, if we're, If that hypothesis, if our thinking is correct, then it's sort of like the movie Supersize Me. You know, you're eating the same ultra processed food every meal of every day. We know what happened, you know, to the director of that movie as he did this. Liver enzymes went up. He felt bad. He gained weight. I mean, all of those things. Again, now think about it from a pet standpoint. They're eating ultra processed foods um, every meal of every day of their life you know, that's, even though they're a little bit different than fast foods, they're complete and balanced. They meet, you know, an adequate, to to maintain adequate nutrition for a pet, but it may not just be the nutrients that are in there, it may be the way the ingredients are handled, the way they're processed, and, and that processing, if it results in these AGEs, advanced glycation end products, and they have a role in making a genetic risk become a reality then we can modify that so the genetic risk then doesn't become a reality for that pet in the future
0: wow again i'm you know it it is it's a a big picture a very big picture and the team there at georgia that you've put together um, it's just very exciting and can we is just honored to be a part of of your journey and and your team's journey and all the wonderful people you've put together let me ask you though um uh siobhan i mean she's i got to meet her she's absolutely wonderful what is she doing now with her doctorate program and you know what is her next journey
1: yeah so so our group is growing um so um I still do some nutrition. Dr. Jackie Parr joined us on faculty here at the University of Georgia, so is overworked with the amount of consults, but, but keeps up with things. Melanie Parham is a veterinary nurse who is doing her training and veterinary uh, specialty in nutrition. Um, we have, and I think you talked with Nicole, uh, Nikki McCormick, who's going to join us as a graduate student in the fall. And uh, Siobhan, uh, Dr. Bridgeslong, came to us, as a faculty member from the University of the West Indies from Trinidad and Tobago. She actually was a surgeon there um, and was on faculty. And she came to us on a Fulbright scholarship. We extended it from a master's to a PhD, again, thanks to to Can We. And um, she went back and joined the faculty. And then this all happened, of course, last year with COVID. Well, she's coming back to join us again uh, in the fall. And again, thanks to Can We, Um, for helping to fund her coming return to the University of Georgia. She's going to do a residency in nutrition, which will allow her to become a board certified specialist in veterinary nutrition, building on her research, not only to be an expert in that field, but also to continue additional research and to be a collaborator collaborator in all of this research that that we're going to be, uh, that we're doing and going to be doing um, while she's a resident here. Um, and and we're taking these, you know, the idea of what are the role of AGEs and processing with disease. And as I mentioned, we're we, we have a have a resident that's looking at AGEs and cats with diabetes. We have another project that, a, a grant that we submitted to, uh, to another foundation uh for cats looking at the role of AGEs and other things in chronic kidney disease in cats. We'll be doing more studies in cats and in dogs, looking at AGEs over the Aging, not age, but true aging—you know, time—over the course of a dog's life, the role in obesity, and then the role in other things beyond kidney disease and diabetes, such as cancer, skin diseases. You know, it's sort of sort of limitless as to where this can go, and it's only possible by the support of, um, in particular, foundations, but even more importantly, people who donate to the foundations to fund this because. Pet food companies have deep pockets and they do research, but they don't always publish it. They use it to make product. And so you don't have access to that information. Whereas when research is funded by non-industry, then you have the capability of making it open to everybody. Um, Part of the things we talked about with Dr. Turner is developing a catalog, a library of AG levels in pet foods similar to what has been done in human foods. This isn't going to be owned by anybody. This is going to be out there for, you know, for everybody to look at, not only researchers and veterinarians, but pet owners as well. Um, so that's, we, that's one of the collaborative efforts that we will be involved with.
0: Well, the other thing I did want to mention too, when uh, I was talking to David Turner, he said that um, the Georgia group as well as his group are coming together too, they're going to actually have a website like the, the AG or ages. I, I love when he says ages with that accent, the right. ages foundation, it's going to be a website where they'll post some of the new research coming out, both on the human side and the veterinary side. So we're, we're very excited. I, I want to thank you for taking the time and joining me this week. Um, our awareness week, uh, thank the team there, uh, the growing team and for the high level of unbiased research that you guys are doing and you're delivering uh, and the education that you're providing. Also, um, I know, I mean, this has been our mission statement for Can We is to support individuals, um, to educate, to provide um, information so that our pet parents can find and, and understand better diets hopefully we're going to motivate the pet food industry to think about better diets that, you know, the standard we have now and dry and canned isn't the gold standard. We can, we can do better. We can, we do better. We can do better for sure. And also um, that this type of thing, this type of research and, and these type of individuals that are part of this team are going to allow our pets uh, to eat better diets, avoid disease, be proactive, right? Proactive. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to be healthier and live longer. And And, that just checks all the boxes.
1: And and I would say, you know, the pet food industry has done, uh, you know, great things. I mean, for 50 plus years, 60 years before that, it was sort of a hodgepodge of what pets got, some good, some bad, and the capability. And they did a lot of research to find out what are the nutrients at what levels, what's too much, what's too little. Um, How do we make it so that it's convenient? Um, How do we make it, you know, complete and balanced? And, and That's where a lot of the early efforts went to, you know, how much calcium do you need in the diet. But but we're at a point beyond that. And, you know, pet foods are designed to be adequate. Um, And and the question is, is adequate good enough for your dog or cat? And what can be done to be better than adequate? Um, You know, because your dog or cat is not an average dog or cat. And so and that's what pet food companies are in essence, forced to do um, because of regulations it has to be for an average animal, so I think some of the what can come out of this is how can we do better than where we are we you know we did pretty good to get to a point from a you know from a commercial standpoint, but now how can we get beyond that and that's where the ingredients do matter the processing of them do you know does matter um, it isn't just a level of a nutrient, a calcium or whatever, it is it is um, what happens to it when it's being used to make a diet. So all of those things just take us then to the next level. And and we're seeing that in human medicine too. I mean, as you mentioned, um, you know, there's a, there is a move back to whole, you know, whole ingredients and minimal processing and, you know, things like that and and the pet food industry and pet the way we feed our pets you know can mirror that because you know we live in the same environment and and we are exposed to the same things thank
0: you very much dr barges i know you're a busy man i appreciate you spending the time with us Um, and thank you to all your team
1: now thank you uh, for inviting me and hope it was worthwhile